1: Welcome to another edition of Horrifying My Friends, a special edition. I say special every episode, but this edition is literally special. I'm horror host Trav. Joining me as always is the theme queen herself, producer Kate. Hi. And making their first collective appearance on the show, the Guillotine Press Boys, the Brothers of Metal, Brian Brooks, Joshua Heath. Saint Anger, Heath. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, boys. Brooks, do you want to say anything, or you want to sit there quietly all show?
2: Yes, I'm just going to observe the room. That's what I'm going to do. Does Kate need to tell you
1: when to talk, or? No, just play.
2: (laughs) Yes, the safe word is banana.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this is a kind of crossover edition with Guillotine Press because we just covered Pink Floyd's The Wall on our progressive rock edition of Guillotine Press this last week. Completely swept rush. Yeah completely swept rush just 2112 but I was like man it's a perfect time to get the boys in here to get producer Kate in here and discuss the 1982 film The Wall. Uh, Now first one thing we like to do on our Guillotine Press episodes is go around the room and talk about what we've been watching what we've been listening to i'm adding the watching because this is an addition of horrifying my friends so why don't we start to my left here with mr joshua heath what have you been listening to watching sir yeah i just think it really goes back to listening to the progressive side of things because
3: that's what we've really been doing lately it's just Mm -hmm. progressive rock so rush um pink floyd uh, I mean, the wall is one of those albums that takes you an hour and a half to listen to. So, and I've been listening to that like nearly every day. So, crying yeah. to it. So, <laughs> yeah. Same here, though. Yeah, it, there's just
1: <laughs> something about that record that you can just put on and um, yeah. listen to, man. Like while you're working, yeah. or...
3: and then uh, Blood Incantations' ambient like album came out today too, which is today's the 25th, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that came out today. It's just pure ambient, like space influence, like. Uh, space odyssey 2001 so yeah that's and then watching i've been watching righteous gemstones from hbo Ooh. with danny mcbride and adam
2: devine and all that so i've heard the new season is maybe even better than season one it's incredible i haven't yeah. we haven't got to it yet but it's on highly this, recommended it's on the uh, short list of things to do I'm trying to think if
3: i've watched anything else i've been meaning to get around to the new texas chainsaw massacre after listening to your review last week i just think that i need to go into it with a mindset of just have fun and yeah. not like expect anything award winning or anything. So,
1: so Brooks, you yeah. have seen the new Texas Chainsaw
2: Massacre. Yes, Do you wanna uh, give us your producer, thoughts? Producer Kate and I actually watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre a couple nights ago. And uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't listen to your review until after I watched the movie, mm-hmm. but without saying too much, I was basically in line with what you were talking about. Like I had I pretty much shared your opinion of the movie in that I had a lot of fun watching it kind of just enjoyed it for what it was it was a good slasher with really good kills yeah it was campy over the top and whatever but like at the end of the day it was a really fun watch and like I totally enjoyed it and would 100% watch again yeah I'm, I'm hearing like a lot of
1: people just be really negative about um, yeah my brother and I just recorded like a, a brother's grim episode a, uh, a couple nights ago but we were talking about and me and you were talking about that with metal as well as it's like it seems like every time something comes out in horror nowadays, it's like totally divided and people are like hating each other. Mm-hmm. Like if you, like, if you mm-hmm. like it, people are like you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, that's how like
3: I don't know about horror, you're more into it than I am, but like that's how music, like metal music specifically has always been like you either get trashed for liking yeah. a band or like praised. Like there's no real in between, there's no like shoulder shrug or like on the fence. Like yeah, it's okay. Like People, like, like the YouTube comments on, like, metal music videos and stuff, dude, is crazy. Like, George Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse just put out the new album, his, so- like, solo stuff today. It's, like, completely divided. Like, people either hate it or love
1: it. Yeah. Yeah, very cliquish and For sure. Weird. Definitely. These, uh, these fandoms.
2: Brooksy, you have been listening to anything? Yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, kind of like you guys, like, we recorded our episode about The Wall and um, Rush 2112 last week. So that really got me... Like I really re fell in love with the wall, so I I've, I've pretty much listened to it, not in its entirety every day, but I've listened to it every day in some aspect. But I've also been diving into a, a lot of other stuff too. Like for instance, um, today uh, we're recording on f- uh, February 25th. Um, Pantera's vulgar display of power turned 30 years old today, Ooh. so I listened to that today. You know, just throwing back, you know, going into the throwback machine. And then um, I know, uh, like Josh just alluded to, uh, Corpse Grinder solo album came out um, yesterday. I was listening to, you know, the full album wasn't out yet, but there was a couple singles from that that were released. So I kind of j- uh, jumped into that a little bit. And it's it's very good. Like if you're a Cannibal Corpse fan, like you're going to like the Corpse Grinder solo stuff, too. So that's really good. Um, and then, you know, Josh alluded to the, the Blood Incantation album that got released today. Um, you know, he texted you and I earlier today, like, hey, you got it. Like, you got to check this out. And that is some of the trippiest shit I've listened to in quite a while. Like, I've n- literally never heard an album like that. It's just very much like synth. Like, it's like,
3: it, it's like watching the Cosmos with. Dude, like, it really is. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it re- I'm, I'm dead serious.
2: Dude, that's an album that's just like roll up a joint and just melt into the couch and just listen to that. Like, and then you can just like lay like, or you can just be like laying on a, in your yard just like looking at the stars and just like like get lost it's it's trippy as hell but it's it's an interesting listen that's for sure
1: and finally the theme queen herself kate what have you been <laughs> listening to what have you been watching robin
0: i have been listening to none of that
1: shit. robin's better than a lot of the shit you listen no. to down there
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no not robin i've been listening to my vibin' list which has a lot of Doja cat mm-hmm. um and stuff like that. That was a good cat. Yeah, a lot of poppy stuff, um, just whenever I'm in the car, really. Uh, I listen to more podcasts than I do music lately, just because there's not a lot of time. What
3: now, did you think of the uh, halftime show at the Super Bowl? It was great.
1: Dude, was I wild. thought that exactly. was one of the best yeah. ones, like, ever. Yeah, it was very good. It, it, yeah, it was the too. best
0: of all time to me. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. like, uh, I've caught myself. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go best all time.
0: Well, I mean, like, Prince, but. Prince might be the best all yeah. time.
1: I haven't Solo. went back and like watched a halftime show like since like I found myself doing it with this one like twice like I've watched it like two or three times like even like the Kendrick Lamar performance like the just everything gelled so well yeah Yeah.
3: it's like there was no it was like very more simplistic than they've done like the last few halftime right. shows like nobody was like Lady gagaing and diving from the top of the like stadium or anything it was just like just like cool and it like flowed together you know what I mean yeah. like not right. that that Lady Gaga stuff was lame but like I like. They just try and do too much sometimes with it, right? So
2: sometimes I do kind of have a little, like, part of me and part of me was a little, like, if I had one critique of it, because I loved the show, but part of me was like, man, if I was in the crowd. If you were like on the wrong side of the set, it would have totally sucked. But- All
0: those Richie Riches who are there can get fucked. Who cares?
2: It's for us, wow. it's, it's, a, it's for us at home. <laughs> wow! This, this
3: ties into what Katie said, but also like to <clears throat> the music or like the rock aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys hear Doja Cat's cover of uh, Hole's "Celebrity Skin"? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it any good? Uh, it was pretty good. Yeah. I don't think
1: think I've even heard so that one. producer K is a. Uh, I I remember you guys always like. I remember seeing a copy of Rush's Twenty One Twelve. One of you guys had a, a t shirt and stuff. Now <laughs> we covered that that battle, like the wall in on Twenty One Twelve. Did you have an opinion on that on that particular battle?
0: Yeah, I my opinion on the battle was it wasn't really fair.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. like I love the Twenty One Twelve album a mm. lot. I've I loved it as a kid even. And I don't think much can go kind of go against the wall, if I'm honest. It's kind of hard to find something that's that's comparable How do you, you feel into,
1: oh go ahead, do you feel the wall is a little bloated?
0: No, I think it's genuinely very good okay like yeah. the production on that album is some of the best that you'll find Bob
1: Ezrin, yeah the great <laughs> bob Ezrin.
3: yeah he he's a good producer except for the kiss record the elder. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's I was gonna ask Katie like. How did you get into 2112, like, at a young age? Was it just, like, your parents listened to it? Or?
0: Um, I know that I got into a lot of, like, I guess it would be considered classic rock now. That's a hard record to get into. when like. You're really, I, <laughs> one of my uncles right. was really into, like, metal and rock okay. and stuff. And I had seen him, like, wear a shirt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's that? And mom's like, oh, it's an album. Why don't you go listen to it? They bought it for me. CD mm-hmm. back in the day when we listened to CDs on boom boxes and I just, just listened to it and I loved it. And I listened to it over and over and over again. Um, I think it makes sense that I liked it so much because it does kind of mirror a lot of classical music Yeah, And you were a trained musician structures. Like those guys, so. Yeah. Um, and because it's got movements and mm-hmm. it's got, you know, it, it's overture in the beginning that literally is mirroring like everything else you're about to hear or just yeah. like introducing you to everything you're about to hear. And so I think I liked that structure. It was very kind of fantastical sounding to me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I liked.
1: Now, Kate, uh, I got the guys' like first kind of exposures to the band we're going to be talking about tonight in the movie we're going to be talking about tonight, Pink Floyd. I got that on the last episode of Geek Teen Press. But since you're the uh, the other co-host of Horrifying My Friends, I wanted to get your first reaction, like your initial, like who introduced you to Pink Floyd, like how did you discover? the world that is Pink Floyd.
0: I want to preface by saying I'm not, I would never be someone I would consider like an expert on Floyd or like a super fan of Pink Floyd. I've always appreciated them. uh, And the wall is a particularly excellent album of theirs, but um, I actually was really introduced in a serious way because I had heard Pink Floyd songs growing up, like which one of us didn't. Um, our parents all listened to that, to that, I feel like, but, um, I didn't really like sit down and listen to an album all the way through until like a class in college, if I'm honest with mm-hmm. you, cause it wasn't really my type of music in high school. Um, and I took like a rock class in college because my college was cool and had that. I was introduced to them that way and, and I had to learn about like how, most of the band members were like architects before they, they kind of mm-hmm. formed a band together, and I really liked um, Sid Barrett's story, which is mm-hmm. you know he, he obviously left the band um, a few years in or I forget exactly the timeline, but um, I think his story is so like sad and tragic.
1: A lot of that will come up in the themes. Of yeah, this movie. You can, yeah. yeah,
0: you can you can definitely um, find a lot of things to like connect to Sid Barrett's life as well, and he and Roger Waters were friends. Uh, that's kind of how they met and that's how Sid Barrett got brought into the band Roger Waters was like hey come be in my band Mm -hmm. Uh, they knew each other as kids um and I don't know I think that's kind of what made me want to listen to them because I like their story Mm -hmm. and then I like their music but yeah I wasn't much of like a stoner either I feel Mm -hmm. like like a lot of people thought of Floyd as like stoner oh yeah oh yeah Hmm. (laughs) all
1: right so the movie that we're covering tonight ladies and ghouls uh, a new flavor to HMF. This show isn't going to be for everybody. Uh, the Guillotine Press boys invade. The boys are back <laughs> in town, if you will. Uh, now, in response to this episode, <laughs> in response to this episode, Kate is going to be able to pick a battle for the upcoming, I don't know when, Guillotine Press episode. So,
3: Not this Tuesday or Monday? Are we doing Monday or Tuesday now? We switched it.
1: I think we're aiming for Monday. Yeah, yeah. so it won't That's be, this our target It'll day. be the So that was the exchange. Kate gets to pick a battle for Guillotine Press. So start thinking about that one, Kate. Now, the movie that we're <laughs> discussing tonight is Pink Floyd's The Wall from 1982. Um, synopsis. A confined but troubled rock star descends into madness in the midst of his physical and social isolation from everyone. Go on. Uh, directed by Alan Parker, the great Alan Parker, who directed Angel Heart, great Movie*, Avita and Mississippi Burning. Uh, rest in Peace goes out to Alan Parker. He died, I think, 2020, I believe, 2019. Uh, pretty, It was pretty recently. He was one of those directors that consistently put out good work and was extremely underrated. Um, cast, uh, Bob Geldof, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. As Pink. Uh, where did you, so you pointed him out, while this movie was going and i was like how the hell does she know who he is like how did you
0: so uh he was one of the you know head producers creators of live aid
1: Mm.
0: remember that yeah you know iconic Mm. big concert back in the day yeah with queen yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so i knew him from just documentaries about that
1: (laughs) nice so yeah bob Geldorf at or Gildoff as pink uh there's not a ton of cast in this movie christine hargraves as pink's mother and eleanor david as pink's wife those are the three that i felt like like were kind of notable uh fast facts and most of this information upcoming is from a larger a louder article named uh called how sir alan parker made pink floyd the wall the movie uh written by kevin murphy Uh, 61, so this is the start of the fast facts. 61 long troubled days, 977 shots, 4,885 takes, and 350,000 feet of film. Shooting finished. In addition to live footage, there was more than 15 minutes of Scarf's animation comprised of more than 10,000 drawings. It took eight months to complete the editing process on this movie before becoming a cohesive film that made its debut in the 1982 Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Before the film was even finished, the idea for a movie, the idea was for the completed album to be filmed as a movie. Uh, The original idea, however, was to use concert footage from several like 1981 performances of the band and Gerald Scarf's animation, uh, which ended up being in the final product. The studios didn't really get the concept at at the time and the filming of the concert footage was like went disastrously like it fucking failed. So Alan Parker was kind of responsible in a way for the film happening in the sense that he was a big Pink Floyd fan and Roger Waters actually reached out and wanted him to direct it. Um, He approached the record company and asked if the wall could be made into a feature film instead of like a concert kind of film. Uh, Parker has talked since that the making of the film, uh, or sorry, Parker has talked since the making of the film and right after its release in 1982 about how the creative process of the film was quite torturous at times. The power struggle was real between Roger Waters and Alan Parker. And as we've seen as fans of Pink Floyd, it seems that Roger isn't the easiest guy to work with, um, uh, as, a, as we talked about on the last guillotine press show. yeah, Yeah. yeah. I don't Um, think
0: most artists are easy to work with. Yeah, yeah.
1: He seems like that, like, troubled, like, a mastermind kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Waters pointed to the fact that there were serious clashes in terms of style and philosophy, and that he, Scarf, and Parker were all used to getting their own way and found compromising difficult. It's an assessment shared and expressed in rather blunter terms by Parker. He says, yes, I think that's true. Three megalomaniacs in a room. It's amazing we achieved anything. Looking back, Parker said he was proud of the film, but it was painful to look back on it sometimes because it was such a miserable creative experience. Um, When Parker met Waters, he described it. On first meeting, it was obvious that Roger wasn't the typical zoinked out rock star uh, as Heath and I are. (laughs) <laughs> As we sat in his kitchen talking over the history of the piece, he dem- demonstrated an evolution of the work with snippets of original demo tapes he'd made alone locked behind the wall in his previous house in the country. These were raw and angry, Roger's primal scream, which to this day remains at the heart of the piece. For Roger is never a case of writing a script, said Parker. It was about delving into his psyche to find personal truths. So Waters wrote the script, and when was originally cast to be pink in the film, But after screen test and the fact that other members of the band were cut due to the change in the style of the film, he was replaced by the front man of the band Boontown Rats, uh, Bob Gildolf. Uh, I'm going to say dwarf like the whole time. (laughs) Um, So Bob Gildolf uh, cut open his hand badly during the scene in which his character destroys the hotel room. Uh, To the astonishment of the crew and the director, he refused medical attention. Uh, until the scene had wrapped up so that part when he like gashes his hand and shit like some of that was real um parker's biggest problems on set didn't end with clashes with waters during the climax of the film while pink addresses the crowd of violent fascists many of the extras around 380 in fact were actually real skinheads hired to bring realism to the film Parker said, as you can guess, (laughs) it got quite hard to get the actual skinheads to not get rowdy. Parker went on to explain, they started to think it was real, so it was kind of difficult to control them in some of the more excessive, uglier scenes that I filmed. You always wonder, as a film director, if you might be crossing a line when you actually get people to do things that are not very pleasant. He remembered one troubling moment when a group of The Tilbury Skins, as they were called, adored in the jackbooted Nazi-style uniforms and Pink's Hammer Guard, went into a pub and terrified the locals. So, that concludes my fast facts, and I'm going to start with my partner in crime on the HMF side of things. Producer Kate, what was your initial reaction of the wall?
0: I was really into this for probably like the first... Three quarters, honestly. I think that's pretty good for a
1: movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and towards the end, it lost me a little bit. Maybe I lost the thread of what I was supposed to be taking away, mm-hmm. um, especially with the whole fascist scene. And now that I know that they hired real skinheads, <laughs> like I'm more annoyed by that than yeah. I ever would have been yeah. because you don't need real skinheads. Right. And we certainly don't need to give them any money. Right. It's like, but who anyway, thought that was a good idea? <laughs> like, why do we. <laughs> <laughs> is it not authentic enough uh, with an actor? Is that stupid? Right. But anyway, um, and then I got, I, you guys heard me. We all watched it together. I was mm-hmm. just like, wrap it up. Mm-hmm. I know where this is going, wrap it up. Uh, but it is a very, very like interesting and I think well done piece. Um, mm-hmm. It's certainly artistic. I like the balance of like the trippy animations with, you know, watching a man basically reflect on his life and all the things that have made him literally build up a wall of isolation around himself and Mm -hmm. like descend into some madness. Um, I don't think the arc of coming back to destroy the wall was like enough. Mm -hmm. Um, It just was very sudden Um, and no kind of reasoning why, which that's the only thing I really was missing, but I thought it was very, very good.
1: Cool. Brooksy.
2: So this is your first time (laughs) seeing this movie, right? Yes. Like yeah this is my first time seeing it <laughs> honestly I was I mean I didn't I don't agree with kate in that like I when it got to the end I wasn't in like wrap it up mode but I do agree with her in the fact that like you know because as the album progresses you know you, you get to all you know the the childhood trauma growing up without a father kind of mom's coddling him and then you know d- d- evolving into a rock star and kind of just battling the the fame and fortune and the dirt the drugs and alcohol and all that goes with it and then yeah, of course you get to the end, and the whole the whole matter of the fact is tearing down the wall and you know breaking from his issues. But I I think like Kate said, it's I think that they left that part of like what allowed him to break down his wall wasn't made very clear in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listening to the music, you can and you get you can kind of get there, but um, I think visually presented in the film, it probably could have been a little better. But overall, like super interesting film like i love the concept of it um was thoroughly entertained and interested the whole way through so um i I think overall is a very well done flick for sure
1: mr joshua saint anger Heath.
2: (laughs) yeah i thought it
3: was fun man um i'm a sucker for like anything music related when it comes to like movies or storylines in general i think it really painted a great visual of the album i In a way, I think it was exactly how I picture the album from an audio perspective. You know what I mean? And to see that on the screen, like represent what I pictured in my mind, was I thought it. I I was surprised that it actually did that because it really did paint the same images or similar images to what I had when I actually listened to the album rather than watch the movie. If that makes sense. But yeah, I agree that I think they could have. I think they could have dived deeper into, like, how he got out of the wall. I think that's a a good point from Mm -hmm. both Katie and Brooks. Um, I think, also, I want to know, like, how they chose the, like, songs that they, like, did in completion, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Hey You, I feel like, would have, like, fit in really well in that movie
1: yeah and i didn't see anything like in the research i know they cut some songs um brooksy actually brought it up while we were watching i know they cut some because they felt like it would affect like the the flow of the movie and stuff but yeah hate you is like one of my favorite songs ever yeah
3: and that one was a pretty big song from the album
2: right oh yeah yeah Yeah. like
3: it's surprising that one wasn't on there i mean but yeah
2: to to be fair they didn't cut a lot because i remember the first time i kind of spoke up during the film is when they went from uh Tigers broke free, and then they went all the way down to um, Goodbye, Blue Sky, which means if you were just following along on the album, they, they would have skipped three tracks, Happiest Days of Our Lives, Brick in the Wall 2, and then Mother. But after they went to Blue Sky, they went back, if you will, to um, Brick in the Wall Part 2 and then Mother. So um, really, like, just they really didn't skip a whole lot. I think m- maybe towards um, the, maybe the back third, they skipped a couple Mm -hmm. i think but really um most of the album was covered there was not a lot of skippage so that's cool that's good it's weird
3: that like hey you wasn't in it because it really would have fit in in a lot of parts like the lyrically like Mm -hmm. hey you out there all alone you know for our
0: listeners who don't know the album back to front tell us why hey you i
3: mean it's just about like loneliness right so
1: I think everybody like that's a huge song. I think yeah. like if you if you grew up listening to the radio, like you've had to have heard that song. Yeah,
3: you've had to have just like scrolling through, like been scrolling through like a radio station when you were younger and like there's no way you so, didn't. So like that. basically Yeah, like, but
0: lyrically like if yeah. you were to the, imagine a scene that would have fit yeah, like, in what Yeah, like when would he was
3: th- definitely just like when he was like in isolation after his wife like was cheating on him.
0: She wasn't cheating. She <laughs> left him. <laughs> okay. And okay. she remarried.
1: <laughs> let me so that let clear let me, let it's me open just,
2: for interpretation. Let it's me abstract. just <laughs> Let me just interject real quick. Cause um and this this is a website I referenced when we did the guillotine episode. Yeah, but there you go. um thewallanalysis.com is kind of where I've like I'll take little snippets of info. But one thing that I liked about this site and they, they did a deep dive into every track, which obviously we don't need, but um they kinda also do like a one or two sentence like this mm-hmm. is what this song is so kind of just to kind of talk about hey you i'll just you know quick basically the gist of hey you is pink floyd or pink finished finishes building his wall and begins to wonder whether it's too little too late or has he made the right decision to completely isolate himself from the world mm-hmm. so watching the movie like yeah. there's a lot of that kind of self reflection a lot of isolation and whatever so like including hey you would have totally fit um it would but have been it was, a little redundant, now, Though it might have. I been. I see why they cut it. You could have subbed it out for another song, though, man. But that like one's that's. Huge. But that is like one of the best songs, best on the album. C- tracks on the album. So it kind of sucks that it was left out. So I want to
1: go to Kate. So just talking about the plot of this film, like uh, not really even talking about the album. Like you want to do a like a breakdown, like a quick breakdown of what we got in this film. And this is a good mm. like this is a good exercise because. Kate hasn't, like, studied the album like we just did, like, you know, track for track and stuff. So, it's, like, what story was presented in this film and whether it was, like, successful in doing so kind of thing.
0: Sure. I can give you kind of my interpretation. It's Mm -hmm. tough because I can tell you just in the words, like, what I saw. But I'm gonna end up coloring this with my own. Oh yeah, no. So if at any point you guys want to stop after I just describe a scene, maybe we can talk about it kind of as we go. That might be a good like
1: before you even start. I think like the wall is such a masterclass and like well, in my opinion, film as well, but even masterclass of an album because I think everybody can approach the wall and see something uh, like of themselves in it and see what they kind of want to see. And like, it's just very open for interpretation a lot of this stuff, Mm -hmm. but...
0: That's true, and it's all. But at the same time, it's also. I don't think it's accurate, accurate to call it like a biopic or anything like that no. about Roger Waters. No. But this is. I think the reason he was probably so protective over it, mm-hmm. when he, in the creation of the film, was because it was so much about his own personal story in yeah. life. Yeah. Um. So there's a little bit of both. I think that happens with any artist's work. Okay. So you come in on uh, sort of a hall of doors. You're in a hotel. Uh, and the cleaning lady's trying to get in. So you're, you're kind of coming at the end of the story a little bit. It kind of cuts to a scene of what you find out is the man in the hotel room's father. Mm-hmm. Back in like World War II, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, and he's in the war. He's like cleaning his gun. So they're, they're introducing things like this already. And the way I took this whole film, I took it as it's a man in a hotel room tripping out on a lot of drugs and also just at the same time he's having these trippy hallucinogenic kind of um, experiences as he reflects on his life and his traumas and all of the, the bricks in his wall mm-hmm. um, that he's built up around himself this isolation he's created for himself but yeah it's a lot of remembering mm-hmm. and kind of almost fabricating his version of what happened mm-hmm. but anyway they introduce all the teens breaking through the door and all this kind of stuff um and you see aftermath of a battle which is like really you know you're seeing all these shell-shocked soldiers who are you know torn to pieces it's really kind of sad uh and then that then they finally show you the man in the hotel room mm-hmm. and this is pink from there they kind of take you all the way back to childhood right? So they they throw all these different themes at you, kind of like the the album does in in the beginning. Throw you all these musical themes. Yeah, it's it's and a very themy movie. Man. Yeah, and so they've done they've kind of mirrored that, like the musical themes that get introduced in a lot of music, in like progressive rock, British art rock was very like overturey,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they did the same in the film. And then it's like, okay, now you're into it. You're watching this little boy. <laughs> it's like the saddest I think to me the saddest scene in the whole film. Um, this little boy. He's being dropped off by his mom. You find out his dad is dead Mm -hmm. in the war. And he never knew him because he was a baby when this happened. And he's only known his mom. We'll get to her ass in a minute. But (laughs) in the meantime, she drops him off at the park. And he just sees all these kids playing with their dad. Like, that's what he's focused on. And he starts to go up to these other dads and try to get them to kind of engage with him, play with him, show him some some kind of comfort. I don't know, some kind of...
1: Yeah. You know, where he belongs. Acknowledgement
0: and stuff. that, you know, he's there, a father figure kind of thing.
1: Now, during this part, like, just to stop you there, like, to take <laughs> this part of the movie when we see thin ice and we see this war scene, and then we're seeing this kid kind of, uh, kind of remembering, like Kate said, the guy on the couch remembering as a kid. Kind of searching for that father and stuff. I think this is like one of the strongest parts of the movie.
2: Mm-hmm. But I don't
1: know. Like it almost starts as a quiet, like a silent film, and then it fucking just hits you with all this stuff from Thin Eyes. But what do you boys think of like those first couple scenes?
3: I thought that it was a good representation of how quickly you can find yourself like in self isolation, right? So like everything's like, just like for, I guess, an analogy, like everything can be going right in your life or seem like it's going right. Like it seemed like he was finding like, this balance of how to deal with things. He was still finding like a silver lining with like going to the park. And like, he found this man that was like, you know, I guess in a way being like a father figure just for a moment. Mm -hmm. And then he's like going down the slide, but you can still see that like, like the sadness in him, right? Like he's not enjoying it. Um, And I thought it was a good representation at the beginning that like, Oh, how quickly that like you can find yourself in self-isolation. I know it's like in retrospect and he's looking back on things. But I think um, that's how I interpreted it, interpreted it. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that the beginning was definitely one of the strongest parts.
1: So yeah, like that. Go ahead, Broxie, if you had well, anything. Oh, I was that. gonna
2: say. I mean, just it's just kind of without you know without regurgitating a lot of what Josh said. It just shows you that like those traumas of life can really affect you in a serious way at a really young age. Because mm-hmm. like I mean this. In this part of the film, Pink is probably no more than six or seven years old, mm-hmm. if you had to guess just by looking at him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already gone through, um, you know, losing his dad. There's war. And well, he you know, was he,
0: born into the trauma of not having exactly, a dad.
2: Bo- yeah. yeah. Born, does never had a dad. And he's just, he's like entering the world lost. Like everybody else, all the other kids around him have mom and dad. And he's just without dad. And he's just, you know, he, he's... He's starting life just lost and confused. And, you know, it's not to say setting him up for failure, but like you can see that right straight away that he's going to have these struggles that he's has got to gotta deal with. Yeah, he's
0: feeling like life's unfair, unjust mm-hmm. and at, that's at uh, such a young age. And that's tough.
1: Yeah, And that's uh, like kind of uh, kind of real in the fact that uh, Waters lost his dad. His dad died at the Battle of uh, Anzio in Italy in uh, February 18th of 1944. When uh, Roger Waters was only five months old, so a lot of that stuff is probably you know from actual childhood, mm, like yeah, you know yeah, just like wondering sure. where his dad is or whatever. Uh, but that would that's like what I would call like Act One of this like kind of movie, and then we get to like Act Two where it's like him kind of just like uh, living out with like his problem, like a lot of his problems with women. You're skipping and, a lot. Know. You want me to?
0: Get yeah. Back go ahead. In? Go ahead. All right. So <laughs> there's a cool animation of a dove. You know, this peaceful mm-hmm. dove being torn apart by this like war bird, which is like, you know, it you know it doesn't take a genius to figure out what he's trying to say there. Mm-hmm. Um, and All this death and destruction. You're, I think you're hearing goodbye, blue sky in that one. Mm-hmm. And then it goes pretty much right into you're learning about his school age time. Mm-hmm. They're introducing these like, kingy may be the wrong word, <laughs> but he's like authoritarian and emotionally and physically abusive teachers Uh um in their school that get pleasure from humiliating kids because they are feeling emasculated at home and they're just passing down their personal bullshit onto children. Wasn't that
3: how teachers really like kinda were back then? Like very like uh hitting you with rulers and stuff.
2: Coming from uh, Catholic school. school. I mean that wasn't how it was when I was in school, but like my uncles, my my mom, people of of generations before me Like, you know, when they were in the same school I was, but, you know, a few, you know, 20, 30 years before, you know, they had the nuns that would smack them with rulers hit them on the back of the head with books. Mm -hmm. And that was just normal. And that was accepted. You know, by, you know, obviously by the time I was in school, that wasn't a thing anymore. But yeah, I mean, like watching this part of the movie it made that makes me that made me think of like okay this was like how school was when my parents were in school and that was just normal and accepted and that's just something they had to deal with
1: well not to get into the conspiracy realm but it's like a lot of school still is like conditioning and like walking in a line like we saw during the music video kind of part where they're walking in a line with like uh like tightened eyelids and mouths and it's like Faceless, almost like kids yeah. mirroring. I, I mean, that's kind of like Jews what it is. It's a stuff.
2: commentary on you know schools or like they're going to throw know, the, the education grinder, system yeah. can kind of like indoctrinate you to thinking a certain way, and then you know we're all we're setting you up to go in down the same path and yeah. you know not now, to really. Now, Kate, mm-hmm.
1: you uh have worked like a career almost in like education stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, how did a lot of those? How did that take kind of hit you or sit with you?
0: Yeah, so you. Just to reiterate a little bit, they, they're they showing you basically assembly line education, mm-hmm. you know. And you're seeing kids being taught, like Brian said, kind of indoctrinating and creating a bunch of cogs in uh-huh. the big machine. Welcome, and, and, my son. <laughs> hmm. And the way that um, kind of relates to the main character of this film is they show you a scene where he's writing some poetry just in the middle of math class. Like, I think a lot of kids who... Will find themselves in artistic endeavors when they grow up. Like, math is not exactly the most exciting thing. It may not be the thing they excel in. Uh, and this teacher uses this vulnerable piece of art he's created, this poem, and humiliates him in front of the whole class and lights this fire of rage in him. Like, you can see him picturing burning down the school, destroying it, and throwing this teacher yeah. into the fire, you, you know? know it, so and it's like some schools, not all schools, um, but a lot of them, make kids especially like fiercely independent thinkers um and it breaks them down and like over the years in the system if it's not the right school for them Mm -hmm. it will just break them down and break them down or it will just make them hate life
3: yeah it's like to build off what katie said in a way um all of us in some way or another and i don't know your guys is like katie i know you were really into music and all that and I don't know what you two are into. I know Travis was. I
1: was into banging my head against the lock. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but like the, the school system is like designed to like force kids into like do like following a curriculum instead of like building on like the strong aspects or like life skills that'll benefit them in the long run. Like for artistic kids and stuff, like instead of like giving them like architecture classes or um, more art classes to do instead of just like one art class every year and, you know, elementary school, instead of, like, pushing them down a route that works for them, like, they're just, like, like you said, like, in this assembly line and, like, throwing in the meat grinder and whatever comes out, like, we didn't give you what you needed, so, like, good luck on the other side, like.
0: Yeah, the time that this guy would have been in school, so I'm just trying to think of, you know.
3: Probably the
1: 50s. 50s, it, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, probably. Um Basically, from then and even till now, a lot of schools are still operating within this, tracking system in schools Mm -hmm. where it was built for the industrial revolution type economy right where you need like a certain amount of just laborers unskilled you need a certain amount of skilled and then you need your doctor's lawyers Mm -hmm. people who go to college yeah and like a lot of people didn't even graduate high school either when i was in school like they were tracking us that exact same way Mm -hmm. and like the fact that we were entering into an information economy Like a totally different, you know, society. Like the education system didn't keep up. And it's it's getting there. Like I'm not saying that we're not seeing positive changes in a lot of areas. But if you're thinking in the context of this kid at this time, the schools weren't... And I I can't speak to British schools. But I'm guessing by his interpretation, Mm -hmm. they they had a lot of the same problems that we did.
3: Yeah. And it's like when you're like a creative, like artistic person... Think of, like, every, like, musical genius or, like, artistic genius that, you know, like, all of them are, like, very, like, self-conscious and, like, um, very, like, emotionally, I don't want to say unstable, but, like, emotionally um, vulnerable people. Like, most of, like, like, any creative person, you know, like, I sometimes, like, consider myself, like, more on the creative end of, like, personality. So, and, like, yeah, I deal with my own, like, you know bouts with depression and stuff like that like I think a lot of people that are very like I'm very sensitive in some regards too so and I think that's just like that portrayal of him like getting his feelings kind of hurt and like embarrassed when you know Mm -hmm. a personal piece of him was like exposed to like the entire class Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and like uh well just to kind of uh go along with your point like the creative person kind of remembering those things from the past of like humiliation and stuff Quentin Tarantino hasn't given his mother a dime and, like, they were, like, holy shit, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. But Quentin Tarantino was, like, my mother told me when I was, like, like nine or ten years old, or he may have been even older, my mother told me that I was never going to make it in film and why am I wasting my time? And, like, right. and he was, like, mm-hmm. I'm just proving to her that what you say to, sh- uh, the shit you say to kids, like, affects them and, uh, like, destroys them, basically.
3: Yeah. It's easy to feel isolated when everybody's telling you that, like, it's easy to feel like like I said like to feel isolated when everybody's telling you that like the route that you're taking in life isn't going to make you enough money, it's not going to help you support a significant other, it's not going to like get you far in life. Like it's easy to, and then you start like not to like to build on the metaphor of the wall. You like start building a wall around yourself and you don't tell anybody what like your hopes and dreams are. And then you have nobody to support you, so you find yourself working a job that you hate, mm-hmm. or in a career that like you just
2: despise, and then that just continues to spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're saying, you know, even though you have these hopes and dreams to do something, but something that you actually are passionate about, you know, the the larger population will kind of poo-poo that because, oh, how are you going to make a living? How are you going to support your family off that or whatever? Yeah. So you just kind of keep entering down that like cycle of self-doubt and like. You know, you're just kind of denying your happiness almost. And then
3: even, like, when you get older and you are in, like, a creative job or a creative, like, outlet and you're using that, like, it's easy to get sensitive because um, you don't know who's, like, telling you the truth. Like, especially when you become successful, like, it's hard to figure out, like, the people that are in your ear, like, whether they're, like, supporting you or not. Like, when he, like, starts, like, he has the groupie over, Mm -hmm. and then he just gets annoyed by everything she does, Mm -hmm. right? Because... I interpreted that as, like, she just likes him for, like, his, like, status as, like, a human being rather than, like, the art that he makes, right? So.
0: And I was going to make a point, and don't take this the wrong way. I'm not trying to say that this Uh-oh. is a problem with men. I'm saying it's a problem with, a pa- like, our patriarchal society that has just taught men to suppress their feelings oh, sure. and their emotions oh, yeah. and their thoughts and hold it all in and don't tell anybody which mm-hmm. leads to oftentimes this kind of isolation yeah. you're seeing in this film, which is damaging and it just it prevents healing. Um, so I think that's like a core theme of yeah. this whole still, joint, you know,
3: and I, I'll i admit it. Dude, like, I still feel that way sometimes. Like, I still feel like um, I'm not saying just because like being a male, like I feel this way. I think single mothers feel this way and like a lot of women feel this way, too. But like sometimes you feel like you're like carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders and like if you show any signs of weakness then that's like when the world eats you alive and like instead of reaching out for help you just like consume it and again build the wall around you until it's like
1: self-destruction mm-hmm. yeah and i think um another and we've gotten into a few themes here for sure we're going to get into a lot more later but like some of these early on scenes that kate uh, has brought up about him remembering like his father is almost like him comparing himself Uh, his life up to this point and calls and like to his father's where Mm -hmm. it's like his fathers went to fight like the axis of evil or whatever right Mm -hmm. and it's like he had a purpose and stuff and with him it's like he's a rock star and he has no purpose he's sitting in a fucking couch and like there's doritos (laughs) everywhere and shit you know what i mean he's like he's he's longing for that purpose and that like oh your father died at war what have you done kind like of
3: when thing. he dresses up in his father's uniform and looks yeah. at himself in the mirror yeah okay. yeah Katie? all right
0: shall we get into the mommy issues yeah
1: let's get into the mommy talk about the daddy For issues sure. and the helicopter parenting issues. this guy has a lot so of issues
0: <laughs> so you get a scene like a, a series of them i guess showing um his mom but they actually really don't show her being as dysfunctional as she is you get a lot of this from the lyrics of the music i think basically what you find is like she is overprotective neurotic paranoid she's projecting her fears onto him his whole life um instead of helping him through life and building up his own trust in himself teaching him to be open to love and instead protecting him and they there's this line about um he's like wondering to his mother uh, will this girl you know tear me apart Uh, And he's saying things like, mama will check out all of my girlfriends for Mm -hmm. me uh, and keep me safe from pain, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is, uh, to me, smacks of some emotional incest. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that term before, but emotional incest is a thing that will happen, um, unfortunately, all too often with mothers and sons, Mm -hmm. uh, especially. Well, especially
1: given his circumstance, right? Like, without a father, so the mm -hmm. mom has to... Play both roles. Yeah. Well,
0: listen that's a myth really like this idea that a mother has to play quote unquote both roles. Um, it's a myth. Uh, she had all this love to give to a man and her man was t- taken from her and she projected it onto her son and that's unhealthy. Moms should not Oh, do for that. sure. Like <laughs> it was for just, sure. it's, it's just too messed up to even talk about. You see this a lot. Like these days when you see moms, for instance, on like, you know, TikTok or Facebook or whatever, and they'll just be like, they'll post things like, um, no girl's ever gonna love my son as much as I can love him. You know? <laughs> like that's TikTok that's what awful. I yeah. when I say emotional incest, that's what I mean. Yeah, I know yeah. what you
3: mean. Another thing, too, that I think we should bring up because of where like the time period this was set, and um, kind of like Travis brought up, like obviously, and you did too, Katie, like she's portraying like, like she's making up for like losing her husband and everything, so. She's overly protective of her son. She probably fears losing her son Um, and just like helicopter parenting, right? And like Katie kept saying throughout the movie, like get therapy (laughs) or Uh like lock yourself into therapy. (laughs) I wonder, I'm not a historian on like psychology or anything, but I wonder how like successful or like commonplace therapy was for things like this back then. Or like how I'm
2: gonna go out on a limb and say it very wasn't <laughs> very much at all. Especially yeah. <laughs> like uh, it barely is now. Like well, let's be th- honest, there
0: was such a stigma, and there still is for um, sure. Yeah, with men, I think a lot more. But I think you also run into the issue of a lot. All pretty much practitioners of, you know, psychology, psychiatry probably all men with the same issues where they've suppressed their shit their whole lives. So, like, I'm sure there were, you know, a few gems of good therapists back then that were doing good work, but I think there were so many flaws just... And we're still uncovering them now Mm -hmm. about how psychology and psychiatry was practiced then compared to now. I mean, they used to think homosexuality was a disease, like a disorder. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) I don't think it... I think I was looking at this movie through the lens of today, like Get Therapy. Like, when I see men acting this way, like this guy in this movie, I have a lot less empathy. Well, I have empathy, but I ha- I don't um, feel sorry for them as much because there are resources. There's.
2: Yeah, but you can't. That's not fair to look at that. Look at this movie that way, though. I see as a woman,
0: saying. women encounter men like this all fucking time. I know. It but- is just tiring. And we've loop I've just. A lot of us have lost our. I know, but
2: this movie was made in '82, and it's portraying a time in the '50s. Like that, just wasn't a thing that happened back then. Like, I know guys just didn't get therapy. So, like, yeah, they were gonna <laughs> go through all. That. And I mean, obviously, I know you know that, but like, I find it a lot easier to like have sympathy for or empathy, whatever the wh- whichever one is more fitting for um, especially a male back then, just because of the whole stigma around like mental health and like the fact that it wasn't even acknowledged as a thing mental health issues like if that movie was made today then you know portraying somebody that this actually happened to yeah it'd be easy to say okay well you need to get some help buddy but like like that you know and it would be more accepted and available to people but um i mean i just and then like going back to the the mother thing it's like part of me kind of sees where she's coming from t- like i know like you emotional incest that's actually a new new term for me <laughs> but like this the way i see it is like this mom is just like her 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 son was born into a life of pain like with and he doesn't even realize it really at first but you know, i think she just yeah is it over the top and uh, excessive yeah but she's also just trying to shield him from suffering anything else and you know she's just trying to be a mom and just shower my son with love and care and give him whatever he needs and hopefully that'll, and you know, I'm I'm thinking from her opinion, from her standpoint, that will help him stay strong and get through and hopefully have a successful life when in reality, it had the complete opposite effect and it just absolutely ruined him even more. And this is the, uh, like the song and the moment of the film
1: that I like identify with the most because it's like, me and my mom have had a like, a strange kind of history and stuff. We we're on good terms now, but you know, it was a really, uh, it was a really messed up kind of upbringing just all around, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the effects, I think it's portrayed on this album and in this film pretty well is like the helicoptering parenting and the, uh, uh I think the lyrics of the song is, uh, mommy's going to make all your nightmares come true uh, and caught cod- the coddling and help me out with those
2: lyrics Brooks. I'm trying to find it. Mama's going to make all your nightmares come true. Mama's going to put all her fears into you. Yeah. Mama's going to keep you right here under her wing.
1: Yeah. She won't let you laugh, but she might let you sing. And it's like, she's protecting him, uh, almost to a fault, not realizing that she's giving him like, uh, ways of coping with stuff. like, that is going to be ingrained in him for the rest of his life. Yeah,
2: his coping mechanisms are run to mommy. Like, put up a wall. It's not healthy.
1: Well, like, yeah, run to mommy, but, like, also, like, put up a wall, put up a wall, put up a wall to protect yourself kind of thing. But, yeah.
0: And listen, you guys are being very kind in your interpretation of the mother's intentions and things, and, you know, she has her own probably unresolved traumas that... But, Mm. speaking as a mom, I think any mother... And that she seems like she wanted to do right by her son, but any mother ought to know that, like, your job is to raise confident, self-sufficient kids who can who have healthy coping mechanisms, who can solve their own problems. You know, not fall to pieces. Absolutely. You know, well, in, think- in 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 the kind of destructive way that this guy has, like, and you'd want someone who's kind. Yeah. Um, I c- <laughs> like at the end of the day, that's kind of what you want. And I think... I think I, I've, I, I just want to say, I've been through a lot of shit and a lot of traumas, especially recently. No part of me is projecting that shit onto my kid. Right. And I didn't need a therapist to tell me. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. Like Like, there's, there's yeah. a, an instinct that tells you, this is mine. This is my burden to bear. This is my shit to, to carry, mm-hmm. not my kids. And I don't know. I just... I don't... Brian was very kind to this mom. Well, and then I, I think I think
2: with that mom too is like she also suffered a loss by losing her husband. You she's know. probably
3: scared of pushing her son away. Yeah, you so know, it's just like and like, coddle my you kid. Mean, Katie,
2: but. You know, it's like hold on to that as long as possible because when he does grow up and leave the nest per se, then what is she left with? And that's probably and that's what, a choice that's that she's making to and live a, alone. Yeah, and that's not healthy, but. You know that's that's definitely a, i would I would assume I think it's a safe assumption too that that's a that's a, f- a real fear that she has mm-hmm. and she's trying to hold on to her baby boy as long as she possibly can. I think there's also a fear of like like if you've ever
3: had friends or if you're a child of divorce, like both parents will try and like not really outdo the other one or maybe they do, but like <laughs> try and. <laughs> be more of a friend with their kids. So they like get to see him more often. And I think one of, one of the other things too, is like, I think she was afraid of like being the disciplinarian that he needed because she didn't want to him to like resent her because he was all, or she was all that he had. And he was all that she had right after losing her husband. So I don't like, there's definitely, there's not like a, a rule book to follow to be a parent, especially back then. And I think we know a lot more about parenting nowadays, just through research and like psychology and everything like that. Um, so I think that's why I'm kind of just going easier on her.
0: Yeah, I mean, she built I- a life of isolation for herself, and there's yeah. no surprise Sunny Boy is isolating himself too. I think hindsight's always twenty
3: twenty, though, and like, like even back then, I don't think she ever knew that. That's like, you know what I mean? Like people back then were just kind of ignorant to the fact that mental health issues ignorant to mental health and how like your mental health affects the people around you like depression in a way is a mental health issue um but it's also kind of contagious like if you surround yourself with nothing but like depressed isolated people like eventually you become like who you hang out with right so
1: yeah and it's like uh just to wrap up like the mom thing it's like her traumas that she's putting into her son at a young age uh, manifest itself with his trauma you know at a later date and it yeah, I wasn't being kind on of the mom. Like I knew, like the mom was absolutely putting trauma into her son by, you know, overprotection and you know stuff like that. But I think that's one of the the, the themes in this movie and album that's like very very powerful. But where were we with the plot?
0: Yep, let's catapult ourselves into his. We're catapulting adult life, um, building relationships with women. Um, you see scenes of him kind of as part of the, mo- like the mother, um, song, uh, where he's falling in love with this woman and they get married and, um, you presume there's a passage of time and he's like been with her for a little while and he's, I think falling into a depression of some kind, uh, where he is just completely checked out of their marriage, um, checked out of their sex life, checked out of any kind of connection with her um he just exists in his in his depression in his room and she can't take it anymore mm-hmm. she try you, they show scenes of her trying then she cheats and on him basically <laughs> she doesn't cheat on him <laughs> that's not what i took from it i don't know maybe that is the true story of things i don't yeah, know yeah she definitely cheated on him i interpreted it as like there there seemed to be a passage of time where she left him and got into another relationship and he was finally getting to a point where he was regretting letting her go. And he was making those desperate calls, you know, on the payphone or whatever to try to reach her. And she has already moved on and she's just like, nah. Um, and then women and this woman in particular become like the source of evil for him, the source of all his pain. <laughs> um, uh, when you see the animations of the literal vagina flower, um, consuming the penis flower and destroying it um, in really violent way. Uh, I think that doesn't take, again, doesn't take a genius to interpret what he's th- trying to say there.
1: Do you think that was women in general or his mother? Because I took that as like mother flower. I call
0: that a mommy issue. I okay. think that stems from something. Um, but I think it also grew from, when you see this flower metaphor happening, like it grew from and it stemmed from this particular relationship where he was deeply in love with this woman Mm -hmm. and she left him in a time when he was struggling Uh, and at the end of the day I kind of I can see both sides he was in a place where he was at his lowest and he needed her to stick by him but she was suffering she was suffering in a way that it's not fair for her to say okay I have to live my life the rest my whole rest of my life suffering because this man won't let me in and won't let me in his walls to help and to help bring him out of it. Um, And she should not have to sacrifice her life to him and his issues. So I can see both sides of it. But that's kind of this story that they're telling um, for a good chunk of the film uh, is building up his um, distrust of women
1: in general. Yeah, his fucked up viewpoint of women like based on all the traumas of his past and stuff, uh, him portraying women, almost like looking for his mother, like almost like in his dating life, which he's never going to find. And yeah, it's just like a perpetual kind of, uh, trauma and kind of a uh, hate that's like being kind of, uh, revealed throughout timelines and stuff. But yeah. So after that, so I want to get into, um, like kind of the towards the end of the film and then we can talk about like some of the other themes in this movie. Mm-hmm. So the fucked up guy, you know he's sitting on his couch and stuff and stop me if uh, you know I'm missing anything. but he kind of just further devolves, further devolves, he hops up, you know he destroys the fucking hotel room. This dude is like unsafe, this dude is unstable. And from what I took of it, I don't know you guys can uh, kind of chime in like of what you took of it. The rest of the film is kind of like him almost daydreaming or him like, you know, just like uh, kind of uh, dreaming and like all these fucked up things about him being on the show and him having fans and like uh, that are like this horde of like dudes with similar outfits that he is. But yeah, I don't know. From then, the movie like kind of takes a turn of like radicalism and fascism and stuff. This is
0: where they lost me. Okay, so... I, I really like enjoyed the scene that you described before, where he well, the series of scenes I guess, where he is devolving very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's destroys the room and then he is like manically, well he shaves his whole all of his body hair off, nice. which is very Britney Spears of him. Like you know you mm-hmm. know like she went she felt out of control and she was like the one thing i control is like my hair i'm gonna go cut it all off like so i feel like that's like a a control thing you see him also kind of trying to grasp onto another like more more of a sense of control when he starts to reassemble um, all of the broken pieces of everything in the hotel room into something that has some kind of meaning or makes some kind of sense to him it makes no sense to us um, but like that's kind of where he is mentally and then all of a sudden They cut to his manager and just people in his like professional life are like breaking down his door, shoot him up with something to bring him back from an overdose and dress him him up for a show to whisk him off to do his show. And this is where they lost me. All of a sudden he, like his body melts away and out comes this like Hitler type persona. I think that was a representation
3: of him being, like, this musician and feeling like he can dictate what the crowd does and, like, that he has, like, this power and like over people as, like, the lead singer of a band or, like, the lead singer like, this, like... um, It's like, are
2: you with me or are you not?
3: Yeah, like, and I think he's just, like, seeing himself as this person who through music can make people do just, like, crazy things and he can just, like, have this influence that, like, he never thought he'd have. You know what I mean? It just uh,
0: felt like a really big jump out of nowhere there was just no transition to me he went well, from like, like dying of an overdose those practically to now like he's on stage with all this control mm-hmm.
2: i think that he did not have i think clearly this part of, i think this that. part of the movie is like where pink hits his rock bottom too though like he overdoses he just totally yeah. like basically ods and like he, he just has said like the dream and comfortably numb like they're just basically pumping him full of any adrenaline or whatever to get him well enough to be on stage and he's just in an absolute downward spiral at this point and then that's where he kind of just he turns into like the, the dictator type mm-hmm. and it's like okay these are these are my fans who's with me and you know like it's like a almost uh, I think an analogy I read it's it's kind of like portraying the the dictator is like a test of loyalty for your fans. I think it's also you like um, it
1: mirrors probably some things that Roger Waters was feeling at the time like of isolation and like um he, he talked about, like, while he was doing this record, like, Pink Floyd, he had to come to terms with the fact that Pink Floyd was in another, like, level now. And it was, like, up on stage, and you can barely see these people that are mm-hmm. all cheering for you and stuff. And it's, it's, that scene for me was a uh, metaphor for, like, how miserable and fucked up his personal life is. But none of the fans ever see that. What they see is him on stage being his perfect self. Like, and you can take any band in the history, really, like, of, of rock, like, you know, of this type of rock and stuff. He's in his chair, all these people come in, they, uh, prep him up, they fucking shoot him with drugs, they make sure he's all clean and tidy and in his uniform, and then he's almost like a manifestation, because it's like he has a body of maggots and shit like that, that he rips off, and all of a sudden he's this, like, impeccable, like, perfect, kind of like being that's up on stage and has power over people so it's almost like like you think about like Bowie and all these guys that were like fucking almost dying like every other night from drugs and then like but on stage they were fucking rocked out and like you know they were rocking
0: yeah I I think this must be the unique mindset of a rock star because I think there's plenty of bands where the audience knew good and well those men up there were not well Oh yeah, for Aerosmith sure. Aerosmith being one where Steven Tyler was drunk as shit for yeah. like a whole decade or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> like, we see and, them as <laughs> gods though.
2: That's what I'm saying.
1: Like the perception is there. And right? Sid
0: Barrett, like in, in the vein of, you know, Pink Floyd. He I was telling Brian this story recently. I don't know if you guys know this is like about something he did on stage. But obviously they were into heavy drugs. Um, mm-hmm. but him especially. He made like a helmet of like crushed up. Drugs, all different kinds, <laughs> uh, and like Vaseline or some kind of pasty material, and like put it all over his head and went out and performed and like was blasted out of his mind.
2: Metal as fuck, dude. Well, yeah, it, but
0: it also scrambled his brain.
1: Yeah, he ended up in a mental institution. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> like, like think about like, any uh, any
0: audience member is going to see that and know you're not well. Bob Dylan, same thing. He's yeah. not well. Um, like Kurt Cobain. So like, like in their heads, they hmm. must think that they're these like. You know, polished con- in control guys, but I think most audiences know when you're not.
1: Yeah. Like Kirk Cobain, for instance, it's like, you know, he's up there delivering a show uh, live from New York, the unplugged, you know, CD. It's like one of the best performances of any live band of all time. But like in his personal life, the dude was like miserable. You know, he was like, I can't mm-hmm. take it anymore. Like, I, I hate this level of fame. I hate this level of anything that we got. You know, so it's that's what I kind of took from that scene. Um, And then we get into the "Run Like Hell," which is like my favorite song on this record, like on the record. There was one thing
3: I was going to mention about the last scene. I think also too, one thing that I noticed was like it seemed like that, like he had finally like come to terms with the fact that he might have been angry with his father for dying because he'd be he'd become like what his father was fighting against in World War II, right, with, like, fascism and everything. And, like, he had actually become, like, that guy that his father was fighting against. Like, and it was just kind of, like, this dichotomy and, like, this duality of, like... Yeah, that's the, right. He says something yeah. about
0: how, like, you wouldn't be proud of me or something.
3: Yeah, so he just becomes what, like, his father
1: fought against and his father would have hated. I think that and, like, was the missing link it. for me. I'm glad you yeah. said that. Yeah, like, um, from there, it's kind of like after this Run Like Hill scene where these kind of skinhead like followers of him are like pulling black people from cars and like smashing out windows raping ra- women. raping women like it's it's a very disturbing scene uh for a, a very heavy and disturbing song
0: lynching gay people yeah i mean they,
1: they're going uh full bar like crazy in this in this film and uh that, from there it kind of like um it kind of ends and you get like a, a like a amalgamation kind of, of a bunch of animated scenes and like there's just like scorpions and shit and like a busting down of the wall but yeah from there the movie kind of ends and we're left with this like crazed kind of uh, I don't know like I don't even know what I would call it like this this fever dream I would say mm-hmm. of a film but I wanted to get into some of the themes that we haven't touched on. I think we did a really good job of like going kind of through the movie and touching on themes here and there. But uh, is there any are there any themes that you guys wanted to touch on or something that you guys noticed that uh, uh, you wanted to bring up, Brooks? Let's start with you, Brooksy.
3: I can go ahead while he's looking. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Okay.
1: Um, I think the one main
3: theme that I like I just touched on it. Um, going back to like the beginning when. He had put on his father's uniform, and he was trying to, like, identify with the man that he really didn't get to know, right? And then, like, his life spirals out of control. He starts building up this wall around him. I don't even think he really knows who he is. So he finds his identity in, like, the opposite of what his father was near the end. And he'd become, like, the enemy of his father. when, it, Like, because his father, the only identity he had with him was, like, this guy that fought in the war, mm-hmm. right? World War II. So near the end, like he finds his identity as in this like hallucination or dream that he's having, like as the enemy of his father in a way. And I thought that was interesting because eventually he like when the, he breaks the wall down, I think it's like him. I don't want to say moving on with his life because I don't think he will, because like th- thematically at the end of the album, yeah. it says basically that like the wall is like just a continuous thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, just him kind of trying to break free of like the upbringing and the demons that he had and that he carries with him to this day, even though he's super successful, the trauma he had as a child, like he still carries with him and still like drives him to these
2: like points where he's just out of his mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and he's not happy. He can't yeah. let himself be.
2: It's something that I would that I can talk on is actually something that kind of Travis, what you were mentioning, like comparing like using the Kurt Cobain comparison and it was uh some notes I made like when we got to the the nobody home track which is uh like it's sandwiched in between is there anybody out there and uh and it's before comfortably numb so this is kind of th- this song is kind of where like he's obviously it's right before comfortably numb so he's just about to hit that absolute rock bottom moment but this is it's like a really powerful scene because this is and this it's not it's something we've talked about like where he goes and shaves everything mm-hmm. and um like that whole song like he's he's basically seeing that he's got every like he's got everything but he also has nothing because you know he's he shaves everything like he's got you know the fame of being a rock star or he's got women and groupies and all that but at the same time all that song is is just like making an observation of all the shit around you like all the things that you have that mean nothing and it's like what's the point of having all of this when i've got nothing i've got this wall around me like so it's like you have everything you physically have everything but emotionally you're empty he's and
0: literally lining up aids as if it matters yeah mm-hmm. so you it's know? like
2: so that's that's kind of like the it's he- like the classic of like you know like i you know i have all these things you know yeah. it's like the kurt Cobain. you know i have i have fame i have a great music career but at the end of the day he's like i don't want this Like this is not what i do this for he has no one in his he, life he because empty. he built up his own wall and he is yeah. his own enemy mm-hmm.
0: wah wah let it down i think i don't know you guys tell me i don't remember how the album itself ends you said it, it, said yeah, it was like pretty it pessimistic ends with
3: basically like admitting that this like the wall kind of never goes away right yeah i'm just and resigned
0: w- to having these walls that i built myself and can easily tear down myself but this film i think ends more, more hopefully like yeah, the wall that, just well, comes like literally b- well, busts the thing open.
2: The, the the end of the album is uh like the trial is one of the tracks and it's kind of like pink is putting himself on trial is like building this wall is something you've done to yourself and you've built up your own wall and it's up to you to also break it down so he this is that's where kind of pink hits that realization that like i'm in control of myself i'm in control of my my happiness and it's up to him to break down that wall and move past these issues mm-hmm. so that's i mean that's that's kind of essentially how the the album ends but
3: yeah here's a theme for you when he puts all the shaving cream on his body but he still cuts his nipples <laughs> what's that a what's that a sign of remember when he like he's shaving all the hair off on his body yeah and he's like, he puts all the shaving cream on, which is supposed to help prevent... Well, like, he didn't, he didn't exactly have a skin. mock You know,
2: it's, he wasn't exactly shaving with a Mach 3 or anything. Yeah, well, but <laughs> what, <laughs> I'm, what I'm saying is, yeah. like, <laughs>
3: he's trying to, better. He's trying to like, be, like, secure in the way that he, like, shaves, but he still, like, <laughs> shaves he his nipples. The shit out of himself, yeah. yeah. And then well, he has
0: that he, gash right in the middle of his chest. He shaves his face really tenderly, carefully. And once he chest. gets to his chest, he's, like, scraping the shit out of himself. He just has lost, um, I don't know, he just, like... He is, he's just manic like yeah. he's yeah. crazy he's spiraling I thought that was weird though I that think if he shaved really carefully around his nipples and really carefully shaved his <laughs> yeah. his chest and then use a nice clean blade to ch- to carefully shave off his eyebrows it wouldn't have the same impact it would be like oh like that was like A very calm, sane way of dude. That
2: was the most uncomfortable. It had to be crazy. That was one of the most uncomfortable scenes of the movie. It's like when you see a scene Mm -hmm. in a movie and somebody just like looks at themselves in the mirror and they just grab some scissors and start cutting their hair off. Like that's kind of what that was. But like,
1: I I think like um one of the ones like well actually it's the biggest theme from this like the putting up of the walls and stuff because of the past traumas. But I think like um it's it's really easy to say like oh he can just like stop putting up walls. Uh, It's it's really hard to deal with like some of that stuff from your past like and I always think about like growing up with uh, two of my best friends um, Billy and Logan who live next door to me and their dad's like cycle of violence through them. And It's like I watch these kids like you know literally get beat up before school like all the time Hmm. and it's like that cycle of violence continued into their teen years and into their adulthood where they are right now uh one of them died uh the other one is in a really bad place but it's like that even though they've they might have tried like they were unable some are able to get out of that cycle of violence and that cycle of trauma uh some are not like uh, you know so it's not it's not um that's why i kind of like felt for this guy like you know in this movie because it's like it is. It isn't as simple as you know, just flipping that switch and tearing it down. It's like if that's all he knows, then that's all uh, he knows. Essentially,
3: yeah, there's definitely a gray area. Yeah, but
2: and I, think- I don't. And I don't even think that this film necessarily assumes that. Hey, you know, I. You know, you might know that you're essentially in control of it, yeah. but I don't think it assumes that it was also a successful endeavor either no, to yeah. move on or yeah. improve or whatever. It's kind of well, like
1: addiction and stuff, right? It's like. It's easy to say, Hey, get off the booze or like, you know, something like that. It's like, yeah, but it's so good. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we're not. I know, I yeah. know what you mean though. I'm just... but it's like in it, in it, an alcoholic, he's like, this is the toughest thing that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, and, and if it's like, it's come from the past and like my family and, you know, it's like, it's, it's a lot more, uh, complex usually.
0: But at the you know? end of the day, what this film shows you, and maybe this is why like the, uh, the bursting apart of the wall happened so suddenly, like maybe that's not necessarily meant to represent that the, like all of his walls came like tumbling down because of all of his like resolved trauma. Um, But rather the tearing down of the wall was the realization that I, like this is within my control and the only way I'm going to feel better, the only way I'm going to get better is, is up to me. Like it's my choice and I have the power to. Mm -hmm. and nothing else can fix me but me Mm -hmm. so maybe it's just that realization and then boom that's the you know that's what blows up the wall and it starts it starts something Mm because you just see such a little tiny part of the wall i'm assuming it's really big now um but yeah i think that's kind of making more sense the more we talk about it now to me of like why it happened so suddenly and why there wasn't like an arc to show the healing um
1: but I don't know. All right. So we've talked about themes. Uh, I want to go around and talk about like why this isn't done more as far as like, uh, and this is, this is kind of wrapping up the show. This is kind of like the last topic that I wanted to hit, but why do you guys think that this kind of rock opera kind of mil- film, mil- kind of film isn't done more and what albums do you think this could lend itself to like this kind of treatment? Well, can you expand on your second question? Like, what do you, what do like, you mean? what kind of albums? Like, uh, like for instance, My Chemical Romance is Black, Black Parade. Parade. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why not? Like, make a make, make a film. What other albums could be done oh, in this what spirit? Other albums?
3: Okay. Um,
1: since this is the crossover Guillotine Press album, <laughs> and Metallica released a, this is the Metallica minute officially. Metallica released a film um, sponsored by Josh, Josh Sturgeon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some kind of monster. Uh, not some kind of monster. It was a. It was like in 2015 or oh, 16 through the never. Yeah, and I ah, was kind of disappointed because I'm like, it, it. What it didn't go as far as I wanted it to. Like yeah. as far as, mm-hmm. but it was much in line with this movie. Like it was an actual. They filmed some yeah. scenes and stuff. But
3: I think. Uh, I think the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance would be a good one, just because that's a really good. Um, I think they did a movie for Ziggy Stardust, didn't they? Didn't they do a movie?
1: I'm not sure, man. Yeah.
3: I, if not, doesn't... I could be totally wrong. But if not, that'd be a great one. Ziggy Stardust. I don't know. I, I think a lot of bands don't go down the route of rock opera because if you don't do it right, it comes across as super pretentious. Yeah. And self indulgent. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean like dude, there's like a lot of like concept records that are terrible.
1: Oh yeah, Kiss Elder and, yeah, yeah,
3: like the Elder by Kiss yeah.
1: is one that just eesh. um <laughs> Like Coheed well, and Cambria. Take Coheed and Cambria. Well it's for like, uh yeah yeah it's yeah, like album. why not make a uh like a like a fucking tv series mm-hmm. based on that set of albums or whatever that storyline i feel like right. you have to
0: kind of believe in it like as an artist these artists have to believe in it because i'm i don't know like the commercial success of the wall and pig floyd at the time that, that album came out but they were already filming that And like conceptualizing the the movie Mm -hmm. very very quickly after it released, or maybe even before they were already starting to work on that. So they had to believed in it before it was even like really successful yet.
3: Well, I think it had their only number one single in the UK, which I think was obviously I think another brick in the wall part too.
1: Yeah, its budget was twelve million. It made twenty two million in the United States. So worldwide uh, doesn't say worldwide. So it, yeah, ta- so it
0: uh, it kind of takes like the ego of a kanye like, to do something like this well, that <laughs> yeah. thing is
2: like what <laughs> nowadays what artists are making anything like that that Nobody could even makes... qualify like like yeah. it needs to be a certain kind of album it can't just well be beyonce's
0: lemonade they kind of did something like this
3: yeah
2: that was a visual album though right yeah
0: it was different but yeah. you know they definitely right. did a big kind of oh uh,
1: it'd be like kendrick lamar kendrick like lamar's, is just yeah, kendrick
3: lamar's damn was a concept record right mm-hmm. Or. No, to pimp a butterfly. To pimp a butterfly was yeah. a concept
2: record. That's so, a great album too. Yeah.
3: So Kendrick Lamar's doing it. Um, Good Kid, Mad City was also pretty much a concept record. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: a lot of like rock childish, bands
1: just- like childish Gambino. This is America. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they made that music video. Why not make like a fucking forty-five minute version of like that? I'd watch it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'd be it'd be cool yeah. shit. They dude's so talented, man. It'd be, it'd be cool shit. Yeah, I think uh, I think
3: a lot of bands just don't tackle it because I don't think there's a lot of bands that are talented enough to tackle it. Mm. You know what I mean? It takes like a Pink Floyd to like, and even critics thought this album was pretentious when it first came out. Like the reviews weren't great, like mm-hmm. for the Wall. But as time went on, like people were like, "Yeah, this is this is a masterpiece," right? I
0: mm-hmm. think nowadays we're also battling like sh- the most short attention attention spans in people of all time like in human yeah. beings yeah
2: the, people like don't the, listen to the digital to age albums of music anymore. the digital age of music i mean that's we've talked about that yeah. on, on guillotine before it's um it was probably like one of our very first episodes it's just like with the spotify's and the apple music's of the world it's so easy just to jump around from song to song Playlists let alone let alone album to album no you don't even need to search an album you can just search out a single so like you know you would it would have to take a real and i i'm gonna assume like being a record label there there'd probably be it, the, uh, making an album like this would probably feel super super risky mm-hmm. and oh you yeah, know there's so much money on that yeah i mean yeah. just that that'd be a I lot don't know. of money i think if you line.
0: have the right star
2: i know it's but.
0: gonna be successful no matter what a beyonce please the the well, the oh, beehive yeah. the beehive's gonna come and they're gonna spend whatever <laughs> money they have to oh, for yeah. it you know like so i think if you get the right fandom you could do something like this now. Like Lady Gaga yeah.
1: could fucking do something like like Easily. a movie well, on her. Taylor
3: Swift just did it with uh, "All Too Well" from Red, where it's like a twenty-minute version of the song, and it's like a whole music video of it, and that was super successful. I'm sure so. you watched it. I watched all of it <laughs> numerous so, times. <laughs> yeah, that's, ter- that's terrible. Uh, sorry, it's not the oh. sorry, it's not new wave, but. Sorry, it's not 99
1: lift balloons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh So let's go around and give kind of our final rating. Uh, how many hammers out of five would you give this film? Let's start with producer Kate.
0: Um, I think I give it a solid three and a half out of
1: five for me. Anything else? Or- <laughs> <laughs> we've, talked yeah, been, we've talked for almost two hours now. We've talked for almost
0: an hour and a half. I think I've said, I think people get, you know, what I appreciate and don't. Um, I after the conversation, frankly, it filled in a lot of gaps. Um, from just hearing from you know a male perspective too, uh, some of these things that I was just seeing through like the lens of an exhausted woman, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was good. Um, three and a half out of five.
2: Brooksy? I gave it a four square hammers out of five. There you go. <laughs> Waiting. <laughs> what we've gone through the last couple of weeks, just diving into Pink Floyd, has just made me. St- genuinely fall in love with this album and the album itself just musically is incredible but putting putting the visual with the movie with it was just another experience that i just truly Mm -hmm. was loved and i want like i can literally go home and watch this again tomorrow night because like i just i already just want to go watch it again and i think it's just an it's an amazing story and like especially putting in like, the effort of, like, getting into each song, like, understanding the lyrics, and just knowing the story before putting it to a picture um, made me really appreciate the what the movie had to offer a lot more. So, um, four, four out of five hammer times for me. Yeah, I'm going four out of five as well. I think it did the album justice.
3: I said earlier, I think it really fit with, like, my interpretation and my visualization of the movie while listening to the record. Yeah. Um, yeah, just talking it out with you guys also made me appreciate it more. And I know Katie said that. But um, yeah, man, I thought it did the album justice for sure. It, was, it could have been so easy to like screw that up and leave like a stain on the oh, actual yeah.
1: record, but yeah. they did it well. So a four and a half out of five hammers for me. Um, I feel like this is a album and a movie that's become even more relevant. Uh, post-2020, we talked a lot about the isolation and stuff with the pandemic and even uh, uh, the recent news of russia and ukraine it's like it's this kind of record just gets stronger and stronger with time as history kind of repeats itself uh boys i want to thank you for joining us on this crossover episode of horrifying my friends and guillotine press hell yeah yeah All, thanks, thanks for, for having times, us bud. uh book wrecks for the uh for the paranoid out there uh georgia <laughs> Orwell's 1984 and animals and Aldous huxley's brave new world has a lot of th- common themes uh, with the wall. Uh, Kate, producer Kate, as always, thank you for joining me. So you can find us at <laughs> horrifying, my friends on Facebook and Instagram and at horrifying MF on Twitter. Uh, hit me a line at capped creature on Twitter and uh, at Travis, you on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Brooksy, you want to hit, the, hit them with the
2: guillotine press socials. You betcha. All right. On Facebook, uh, it is guillotine press um, on Twitter. It is at guillotine PM on Instagram. We are guillotine underscore press one. And then email is guillotinepressmedia at gmail.com.
1: That will be all for this week, Tackling the Wall. Is there anybody out there? Hey, you.
2: <laughs> I am just a new boy. <laughs> <laughs>